Welcome to the Thriving in the Word podcast. We are so happy to have you listening today, and it's a great conversation that we have as we dig deep in the Word. If you're enjoying the Thriving in the Word podcast, we'd invite you to like it on whichever podcast service you use, leave a comment, a rating, review, even share it on social media. Let your friends and family know about what we're doing here. We hope that you enjoy this edition of Thriving in the Word. Hey guys, so glad that you're all here today as we uh, continue our Thriving in the Word podcast. And we are in John 16 to 21. We've been in it for how long have we been in this section? Like four weeks now? Three, four weeks? I don't even know. It should be our fourth week. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So just just in 16 to 21. Yeah, just in 16 to 21. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, so we got Lenny (laughs) Lenny here with us and uh, and Ben is here with us. Dave (laughs) Lamana, of course, and special guest. Jeff, who pops in and out from time to time, so was, lot, was Jeff here for one of the other recordings? Just one. Yeah, yeah, you were yeah, here just for one. one. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we're gonna jump into this. Discuss anything that stands out. I mean, obviously, we've already hit a lot of stuff. Um, I think the one chapter we haven't talked about at all is twenty-one, but still, everything in here is fair game. Whatever stood out to you as you've been reading through this week, let's let's jump right in. I've been thinking a lot about like Pilot, like the role he played. Mm being a governor, right, mm-hmm. and, like, having to, like, call the shots. And and John 19, it literally just starts off with how Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip and how they were mocking him and doing all these things. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, Pilate was doing this because they told him to do it, right? I mean, he wasn't really sure who Jesus was and, and what he was about or what he did, and then when he tried to let him go, the Jewish leaders were like, they were pretty pissed. Yeah. They were like, like uh, by, in John 19, 7, the Jewish leaders replied, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. And what, there was a shift in Pilate's mind in the coming verses, in verse 8, when Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. Mm. Right? Because you come across that, you know, you think about... Um, the verse in Mark twelve seventeen, and it, I just thought about like Caesar and how like the power that he had. Mm. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and what, give to God what is God's. And so, I immediately thought like they are literally putting Pilate in a tough position because now they're saying that he's not gonna you know uh, bow down to Caesar now. Almost, you know what I mean, and. And he took Jesus back into the headquarters and asked him, where are you from? Like, they're, they're, they're adamant about, you know, wanting you to be crucified right now. Where are you from? Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? And then this is when Jesus speaks up for himself and says, you have no power over me. Over me at all, unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him again, but the Jewish leaders shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. And it was just interesting, like, I don't want to be Pilate. Like, but I feel like I've placed myself more often than I'd like to be kind of like, have some of those characters, those characteristics. Like, have I defended Jesus, right? When, like, there's a debate or, like, I mean, I grew up in church, Right. But just because I grew up in church doesn't mean I had a relationship with Jesus. I might have had a knowledge of who Jesus was. But you know how many times, like, in school 
or in different friend groups, I wouldn't stand up for Jesus. Or if I saw something that was inappropriate uh, or something inappropriate was being said, I didn't say, like, I'm a follower of Jesus. I was kind of always quiet. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I let everybody else's power reign over me. Right, and I and I feel like I've placed myself to be in that category, like kind of like Pilate. I don't know. What are your What are your guys' thoughts with Pilate? Well, many of us do that. I think we're we're if not afraid of our faith, afraid to profess it in the open all the time. We can say we're Christians in this room right now. Uh, people listening to us could say they're Christians, but how many of us profess that faith, our Christian faith, our belief in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. in our workplace? when we're walking on the street, when we're in a store, when somebody confronts us about any issue, as you said, when you were in school, Lenny, how many of us do that? You know, it's interesting that the verse you just read, because uh, it hadn't really stood out to me until just now, and that was verse 8. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. Mm. You know, and, and if you think again about who Pilate was, he had no reason to be frightened Per se, right? Because he's not—he's not frightened of of the religious leaders, really. He's certainly not frightened to put anybody to death. Because I mean, as we've discussed before, he was a brutal uh, leader. Mm-hmm. But here, it's like I believe that he had been hearing the claims of Jesus um, mm-hmm. as uh, a Roman official. They certainly believed in deities, often like demigod kind of deities, uh, people being, you know, deities to some extent, right? And here is Jesus in front of them. Pilate is determining that Jesus is innocent. And I think his conscience hits him. I I mean, I think it's a slurry of fear. Yeah. Because I think he's afraid of the people. He's afraid of his higher ups. But I think overarching all of that is a fear that, like, this guy very likely is... Maybe not necessarily big G God, but yeah. little G God at the very least. That he is a God, a you know, a, a, a deity of some form, and it's now in his hands to put this person to death. And he clearly doesn't want to. Now, yeah. ironically, he ends up giving into the peer pressure, right? Which which, yeah. which is which is the failure. And I think that's kind of maybe what you're bringing out. Like, do we give into that peer pressure, even knowing? That he is God, even knowing that, you know, this guy is innocent, I shouldn't be doing this, and and, and he's afraid because of that. You know, obviously his wife has a dream that, that torments her, and, and Pilate interrogates him and finds nothing wrong with him, and he hears that he is the king of the Jews and never refutes that, really, and here he's in the situation where he's says, more frightened than ever. And uh, and then yet, like I said, then he still goes on and turns him over to the people because but, he bowed to the peer pressure. But yeah. they didn't even let him speak either. Just uh, in verse 14, towards the end of the verse 14, look, here is your king. And immediately they just said, away with him. They were just start, They just started yelling. Like you said, like they just, the peer pressure. But I mean, I think he wanted to give some kind of speech in regards to like who Jesus was, right? Want, I feel like he wanted to speak up but couldn't. Mm. but couldn't like he want he he wanted to protect like you said Judah everything that he was about and and just to think that the customs of that time was to just brutally uh beat people and to do all these things that was normal yeah right and to see just the the way how it turned out you know at the beginning of 19 when you know he was being brutally beaten um 
without even having a recollection of who he was, just hearing about him. Yeah. Which I, I think a lot of this, like, if you put yourself in his position, so you're like, okay, so your wife is having these weird dreams. You're in a political position. This guy that you don't, you don't care about him. Who is this Jesus? Who is this guy? He's just some prisoner. Why do all these people want him dead? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with this guy. Yeah. And then my wife's having dreams about him. I'm confused. I'm scared. Yeah, and, and, and then he tries to he tries to get him off the hook. He's like, "Where are you from?" She yep. doesn't answer. Why don't you talk to me? Don't you realize I have the power to release you or crucify <laughs> you? you? Verse eleven. I mean, talk about number one, a statement of power, but number two, giving Pilate actually permission. Yeah. Right. Mm. He says, "You would have no power over me at all, unless if it were given to you from above." So the one who handed me over has the greatest sin. So it's almost like he's saying, turn me over. This isn't held against you. Right. There, yeah. there, there's other powers at work here. And and you wouldn't even have power unless it was given to you by God. Like, think of any of us who would be in that situation, right? Likely, we would be begging for our lives. Uh. And I'm sure Pilate had seen this day in and day out. People begging for their lives. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Don't kill me. I didn't do anything wrong. And you know, I'll do anything you want. You just tell me what to do. I'll be your servant. I'll do anything. And Jesus is like, you got no power. He's like, you got no power at all. And Pilate, instead of arguing that, says then, right after that, next verse, 12, then Pilate tried to release him. And then, obviously, we know where it went. And he continues all down. And then he's yeah. like, are you sure? You want to really? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And then he finally is like, fine, do whatever. Well, Jesus even says earlier that people are going to go and they're they're going to do all this thinking that they're doing the right thing. And I've been trying to find where it was. I was actually like listening to it earlier today, and it got me thinking about even in today's world. Uh, you look at the news, and I'm, I'm sure this will be pretty timeless whenever this actually uh, gets released. But you know, you got them uh, censoring stuff that's been around for decades. You know, all of a sudden, and they think they're doing the right thing. I mean, I know it's a smaller it's smaller than. Uh, them crucifying Jesus, but it's the same mindset. You get this group mindset that you think you're doing the right thing by killing a man. I just definitely wouldn't want to be known as the man who beat Jesus and like handed him over. But like you said, Judah, I actually skimmed over that one spot where he like gave him permission. It's not you. It's the person who handed me to you. Yeah, he's like basically telling him like do what you have to do. Yeah. yeah. You know? Which yeah. is essentially what he said to Judas also. Yeah. Right. Do what you have to do. So, right. What you gotta do, do quickly. Yeah. He goes to the garden. Who are you guys looking for? Jesus. Here I am. Boom. They hit the floor. I'm right here. Stand back up. It's like, yeah. He's like, hey guys, who are you looking for? Jesus. Boom. They hit the deck again. Right. Stand back up. You know, it's like. Over and over and know. over again. He just kept, like, Jesus just kept giving himself to them. Just relentless. Like, making sure that we can have eternal life one day. Like, it's just, it's, it's beautiful. Up until even being on the cross and saying, you know. Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Like he's still giving himself just constantly. So that's why I wanted to bring Pilate up a little bit because I mean, and, and how many, he like, played a crucial role. Yeah. You know? And how many like in the reverse situation where like, okay, we were the, we, we were in the garden and we were there with our buddies and they're coming and like, I'm not Jesus, he's Jesus. You know, or and you run the other way while they're distracted, you know, or anything. And that's what they did. I mean, John, John fails to mention it in his own book. 
that he runs off naked. But you know, <laughs> but other, I think I don't know. It was Matthew. One of them mentions that where where he takes off running, somebody like grabs his uh, cloak and he just leaves it behind, streaking out of there. So Judah, Judah, you're saying that the one who describes himself as the one that Jesus loved, yeah. and the first one to make it to the you know to make it to the grave, yeah. the, you know. He Fail, didn't, fails to mention the fact that he ran away naked. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Also forgets about uh, you know Peter walking on the water. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> no, it shows God uses imperfect people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even, if, like, even if you're like a little us. little into yourself, they yeah. still use you. <laughs> Anything else stand out to anybody? I was looking at twenty one because we hadn't, as you mentioned, Jude, talked much about that. I don't think. And at the beginning of 21, Jesus appears to the disciples again beside the Sea of Galilee, as it says. And there just seems like they're just hanging around. John says several of the disciples were there. He gives their names. And Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they all decide to join him. They've just, at least Simon Peter and probably the rest of them, because they all ran and locked themselves up after Jesus was crucified. They've just experienced a big failure in their lives. And Peter was the lead person of the group and the lead failure with his thrice denial of Jesus Christ or of his knowledge of him or being a follower of him. So now they all go out there and Jesus is standing on the beach. They don't know. They can't see him. And he asks them, have you caught anything? And they say, no. And he says, throw your net out on the right side of the boat. And of course they catch, I think it's 150 something fish. They don't know that yet, but they catch a large haul. And I'm thinking a couple of things. One is, how would I feel, and you guys could think mm. about how you would feel after the, your leader has been crucified, and you don't know where to turn, what to do, where you're going to go from here. You're locked up in a room, and now maybe you need a release from all those release, recent events, and you turn back to what you were from the beginning, fishermen, mm-hmm. and you go out fishing. And what does Jesus do? It, it seems simple to me, but because I've read this so many times, and I realized... Jesus, in, in 21.6, when he says, throw your net out on the right side of the boat, and you'll, you'll get some. And, and they couldn't even haul the net in. Jesus turns their failure, because they didn't catch fish either. Here's another failure. He turns their failure, a small one, it's fishing, but he turns it into a success. Mm. I didn't think of it before, but uh, you know, as I'm reading over and over and over, I go, Jesus takes care of us. And look at how he does it once, when he, after the crucifixion. And he resurrects. How many times people are talking to him? They're right next to him. They're standing next to him. They don't even know it's him. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. And they don't know him. It's him until he lets them know it's him. Yeah. Or and they he, put it together in their head that that's him. And he does here yeah. by by again. My main point is that he's taking a failure and turning it into a success. He's taking these fishermen. Here I'm giving you fish, but it isn't just about the fish, as we all know. Um, as he said, um, I'll make you fishers of men way back when. And ultimately, if I think about myself, and, and if we all think about ourselves, and anybody who's a Christian, somebody who follows Christ, ultimately, we're all in the fishing business once we follow Jesus. Mm. We are all in the fishing business once mm. we follow or commit to following Jesus Christ. And we are fishing for souls, for people, mm. for Jesus. Yeah, and, and it's interesting how Jesus continually is using the you know, the, the metaphor of come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, right? Throughout all that he uh, talks about, you know, he or whenever he's inviting his disciples to come mm. follow 
him and many of them are fishermen in their own right. So this is a very common idea. And it's interesting how it's not mentioned in, in John, but it's mentioned in Luke. A, another time when Jesus also did a similar miracle. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is preaching on the, the shores of Galilee. He's going around. He's recruiting disciples. And then he sees Simon and says, Go out where it's deeper and let your nets down to catch some fish. Master, we worked all hard all last night. Didn't catch a thing. Let the nets down again. But if you say so, I'll do it again. They went out there. It says, This time their nets were so full that they began to tear. So they shouted out for a boat to come, and the boat came and helped them. Both boats are on the verge of sinking, and they were in awe of all the fish that they caught. Here, in John 21, so that, that's like at the beginning of the ministry. This is at the beginning when, he, when he's recruiting these people. Uh -huh. It starts with, go fishing, and they catch it, and they catch so many, their nets tearing. And I just think it's interesting. What a nice um, callback. What's that? It's a nice callback. Like he, like, like Jesus is like, uh, there. He reappears and he just does it in a callback. He's yeah. like, you remember this? Yeah. Remember and and, and he's like, hey, <laughs> throw it on the right hand side. So they did, and they couldn't haul it in because there was so many fish. But, but he, here was here was what I was getting at in verse ten. Hmm. Jesus brings on the fish he just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, dragged the net to the shore. There was one hundred fifty three large fish. And what does it say? No, no, yeah, the tear. net didn't tear. Yeah. I don't know. I just find that interesting how the first time it happened, yeah. the nets okay. tore. Mm. And then here, the nets didn't tear. And and, and I don't know. I mean, I've heard people draw analogies with this, but it's like... Oh, you can, I, yeah. I, I, I almost think that it's like, hey, at the beginning, you guys weren't really qualified. Like, yeah. you're pulling it in. The, the nets are tearing. You don't have the capacity. You know, it's sinking mm. the nets. And now here we are. We're getting ready to leave. Look, look, the nets didn't even tear this time, guys. You know, <laughs> almost like like you you got like I gotta go, guys. But you got this, right? Yeah. You know, another thing that while you were reading it, Jude, I had I had highlighted something. I just saw it here. A hundred yards. That that's a football field, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Now I'm an average swimmer. I'm, I'm not great. I don't know. Hundred yards would be a lot for me, I think. Yeah. Mm. But did you guys notice there? I thought it was humorous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Simon Peter jumps out of the boat, and he heads for sure. And he says, and then it says in verse eight there, the other stayed with the boat and pulled the the loaded net to shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. Right. So he jumps out, and either swims, and even if it, it, he swims a hundred yards, right? I'm yeah. thinking that's yeah. pretty darn good, isn't yeah. it? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's what I did. I laughed and I go, and, and now I mean, you know, he was always the headstrong one, and now he's he sees Jesus again, and this is what Jesus calls us to do: He forgives, and we forget. We forget that we denied him at some point in our lives. Mm. We didn't stand out, as you said, Lenny, to go back to, to your example in school or when you were the group of people, mm. or I didn't when I was at work and somebody thought I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. And, and, but Jesus forgets that. Right. Uh, he right. forgives that, rather, and we forget it because Peter here, to go back to the, the, the passage here, he completely forgot that he denied Christ three times, mm. and he jumps in, and he swims 100 yards. I mean, that's what I'm getting out of this. Did you guys read this? I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm figuring, I was yeah. just doing a little math. I'm saying, he swam 100 yards. Wow. Yep. Because the, the boat was 100 yards from shore. He puts his tunic on and he says, goodbye. See Headstrong Peter. Yep. Forgetting everything that he had done before. Because mm. he sees his master. 
and I just want to be with Jesus Christ. And I can't wait for the boat to get in. Mm. I'm going in myself. Which is interesting because the point that you originally brought up was the fact that they returned to what they already knew. You know? Yes. They, they returned to their livelihood. It's like, well, we at been... least got fishing. Yeah. Right? Like, at least we've got yeah. fishing. And here, for the second time, Peter leaves his livelihood to come be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. Mm. It, it's, yeah. it's almost like it, like a movie that ends, and right when the movie's about to end, they leave it open for the sequel. They're yeah. like, well, our job is over, he died, we failed, let's go back to what we were doing, and then he shows up, it's like, you're not done. Right. Yeah. You know? It hey, reminds me too, it's like, only you know, just begun. Yeah, yeah, it's, just as much as you want to try to run from what you know, like with the gospel, you can't. You yeah. always find yourself like looping back around. And at first, you know, they weren't qualified, but God qualifies the called, so he was persistent. Mm. And then eventually they felt like they were qualified to continue it out. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very interesting point, Lenny, and you made me think of some more things that I wanted to comment on. 21, 1 through 6 again. Mm-hmm. You know, I mentioned, okay, it's a release from re- recent events. Judah just uh, reiterated they're going back to what they were doing. But Jesus turned, as I said before, their failure into success. He helped them to catch some fish, or he says, hey, throw it over on this side, and, and of course, Jesus knows they're going to get some fish. I, I think if anybody is reading this, you, you're reading 21, chapter 21, verses 1 through 6, they fail in catching the fish, but it has a, a much broader scope than that. Sometimes our best efforts, or the best efforts of any human, but let's talk about us today, currently. Sometimes our best efforts end in failure, do they not? We have nothing to show for all the hard work that we've done. Mm. Just like these fishermen here, these apostolic fishermen, we might become dejected or weary or maybe even give up. You know, we return empty-handed. No fish or Mm -hmm. no souls. Um, It's the same thing, you know, when you're fishing for humans. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going out there and we're trying, you know, Thrive is trying to get as many people as possible, but it isn't always... It isn't always a success. Sometimes it's a failure, and we have to realize that. We get no results. We got nothing to show for all our hard work. Whatever it is we do, whether we're you know, putting an addition on our house, uh, we're constructing something, you know, putting together a, a, a new project, or fishing for souls. Mm. And, and I, I'm thinking about that. I wrote a note to myself here, and I said, Jesus is calling us, as he did the apostles, to, to be faithful not necessarily successful because we're, we're humans. We're not going to be successful all the time. If we look through the Bible, as we've mentioned many, many times, God takes the most unbelievable people, Absolutely. the unimaginable people, uh, the people we wouldn't think were going to be heroes, and he makes them heroes. Uh, sometimes, though, they don't succeed right away. We only need to be faithful. Everything we read, and when we get into the Old Testament again, Mm -hmm. especially these minor prophets or any prophets, but we're going to be studying the minor prophets, we shall see how unfaithful people were Mm -hmm. and and how much God just wanted us to be faithful. He doesn't need us to be successful. And that's what's going on here. We get frustrated at times. Mm. I'm sure our pastor does too. And, you know, oh, I thought people would get this or understand this. I thought they'd become Christians. It doesn't always work that way. I get frustrated in my family. I thought they'd see my point of view here. Yeah. Or I'm talking to some friends, but no. Yeah. But with Jesus, it's just a matter of the most important part, I think, is to be faithful, mm. to 
to our to our faith, to be faithful yeah. to the principles, the tenets yeah. of of Christianity. We're not going to be successful all the time. And and for me, again, I always try to relate it you to mean myself. God's not just there for my success. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> Judah. Right, well, That's great. Man. God is not just that. No, I'm going to emphasize that as Judah just said, folks. God is not just there for our success. He wants us. To, he's there for us all the time. But he knows we're going to fail at times because he's given us the free will to do that. Yeah. And we fail many times. So that's relating it to my life. And you can relate it to yours. And anyone who's listening can too. That's hope for me. I always say that. We don't have to be perfect. I, I, drive my, I beat myself up so many times. And maybe you have done the same thing thinking I've got to be perfect or I made this mistake. I committed this sin. And, and yes, I've committed a lot of sins, some egregious sins against my faith. But God says, just be faithful, mm-hmm. repent, mm-hmm. show repentance, and you'll be restored, you'll be reformed, and you'll be reclaimed by me. Yeah, it's funny, as you're saying these things, because even for myself, um, I, I've failed miserably sometimes at, like, praying consistently, you know, reading the Bible consistently, but when I'm, like, having a good streak, right, reading the Bible and, like, yeah. listening to Jesus and finding the opportunities to pray for people... I feel like God is like, good job, little slugger. Because <laughs> you know? even, like, to, to one-up that, little slugger. like, he, he can operate so much more in me, even at my best. There, there is a process involved. There is a process involved, there right? Is. There is. You, you have to. There he's going to, and even when you think you're strong, he's going to break it again. Yeah. And then he's going to reshape it into what his image is. And I think we, we mix that up sometimes. Like, we have this, like, self-image of who we think you know, we need to look like, and Jesus is like, you're, you, you have to fix your focus on me. You have to fix your fo- focus on me. You're, it's on yourself. You're trying to, you know, please me because you feel like you're doing this right. No, like, yeah. that is keep wonderful. your eyes on me. Yeah, mm-hmm. the fo- focus on, on, on you. And that 1 to 6, if somebody re- wants to read 21, 1 through 6, they get fish. What does Jesus do? You just said it. If we focus on him, he, he's prepared for us. Uh, in this case, it was fish. He was preparing, getting ready to prepare breakfast. Come on, we'll make breakfast. He's prepared for us. He's ready for us. He loves us. He, he, he's, as he so did good. for the apostles there, he was ready to welcome us. Mm. And you're right about, you know, I get so up when I read the, the Bible. I think I mentioned this before. When I, when I skip a day, which I haven't in a long time now, in at least a couple of months, that's a long time for me, you know, and reading it every day, you know, outside of our Bible study, I feel so good. Mm. When I don't, I feel bad. Mm. Yeah. And if I don't a couple days, I feel badder. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, yes, I know. And I'm an English major. Yeah, I'm that's just me. That. I'm supposed to be saying and, that, not you. I know. And then I feel the baddest when, yeah. I, when I let a week go by without reading this, which I don't. You know, you know, if you just give it up altogether, you will feel the most baddest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all, so. But Jesus is there ready to welcome us as he did the apostles when they came back. And one other thing I want to say, and maybe someone else could comment on this, if you go beyond that in this chapter 21 where Jesus is asking Peter if he loves him, mm, he right. is resetting focus. You brought that word up, Lenny. He is resetting the focus of Peter here. I don't, I don't know what you guys got. That's what I got. He yeah. is resetting his focus. Mm. Peter's no longer that cocky person to say, like he said, I love you more than anybody. I'm the, I'm the man. I'm your man. I'm your... No, he knows he denied him once. And so right. now he, he can't be that, that, that uh, you know, that, that, you know, that my love is stronger than anybody else's. 
uh, there, when, when he's talking there from verse 15 on, and Jesus is asking him about that, Jesus is just trying to refocus him for the business ahead. Right. The, well, you, you know, as you ponder that, you know, even back to the original request to go fishing, you must read between the lines a little bit here and think about what Peter is thinking. It's like, obviously Jesus is risen. He's appeared to them a time or two. But Peter must be like, hey guys, I'm out. Like, like, like whatever's going on next, whatever the next chapter is, that's, that's for you guys, not me. Because like, yeah. I failed the test. So I'm going fishing. Yeah. Because that's where my future is. My future is yeah. fishing. Sure. And and, and, that, that. and that, that's where that's where he goes. And like you said, that that, that pride is uh, gone. But Jeff, how about you? You haven't said anything yet. Uh, anything stand out to you and stuff that we're discussing I, here? I'm just enjoying the conversation. I want to go back to uh, yeah, eighteen four. Jesus fully realized all that was going on that was go- going to happen to him. Mm. So he stood forward to meet them. He already knew what was going on. He mm. went out to meet them. Yeah. Who are you looking for? They. Yes, Jesus of Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, or excuse me, he replied, "I am He." And Jesus replied, "On oh, Judas who um, betrayed him, was standing with them." Then Jesus said, "I am He." They all drew back and fell to the ground. Mm. I mean, I could, I always hear that, and I picture that in my mind. You know, he's standing there, he's seeing them coming, like they all got torches and they're at the pitchforks. I mean, can you just picture this? And they're coming. He's just standing there, and he's. They ask him like, "Well." Who are you guys looking for? Like, oh, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. And mm. he asked him again, and then they all fell to the ground, mm. whether they wanted to kneel before him or not. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You know? They mm. knew they all knew that this was a power. And like, just to add on to like with Pilate and stuff like that, Jesus was going forward like with force. Like there was uh mm. imagine the air like permeating around mm. the garden. You yeah. Know? I, I gotta believe too, now that you bring that up, Jeff, that the people that came out there, the Roman soldiers, the Jewish uh, Sanhedrin and, and their own soldiers, which they had, their own guard, they had all heard about Jesus and what he had done. Mm-hmm. And that was part of the fear. Uh, again, remember, they were mystical people. They believed in a lot of different things from you know idols to magic and all the different gods that they had, especially the Romans. And so... I'm thinking, putting myself as one of those people. I'm there, and I'm, I'm coming up. I'm one of the guards. Even I'm a Roman, and they're tough. Can you imagine? I mean, they were the they were brutal, but they all, as Jeff just read, got to the ground because this. I'm hey, oh my God, he's in front of us. We didn't know it was going to be that quick, and all of a sudden, he he's there right in front of them, and and they're thinking of all the things going through their mind. Wait a minute, he did this, he did this, he did this, he, he all these miracles and, and different things that he did, bringing people back from the dead. They heard of that. They heard of a lot of things, mm-hmm. certainly mm-hmm. the Jewish people, and they might have even been telling the Romans. And the Romans were saying, oh, my God. And they were superstitious about magicians. And they might have thought that. They said, so they fell to the ground. Mm-hmm. They're scared. Oh, my God. And, and Jesus is there. Hey, you don't have to be scared. I'll go with you. you know, stand up. Mm. Uh, you know. But it was just the point of, like, they had that in the back of their mind. And then they had a real-life experience with Jesus. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, mm. I see what didn't saying, really... Yeah. Um, it said a little bit about Peter there too about when he drew a sword and chopped the ear off. Yeah. I don't know which book it's in, but it said that Jesus picked up the ear right and, and put it back on the uh, soldier. Oh, that. Can you yeah. imagine what's going through that soldier's mind? You know, it said like he never left with the group; he just sat there. 
like at all, like what just happened. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, like the next day, he's you know, like, he's like spending the rest of the day like thinking about like, okay, did that just really happen? Right. What did I eat? I figured that meat was bad. But it was. I imagine the whole thing. <laughs> it was a true encounter that left an uh, everlasting impression mm. on them. It oh, changed yeah. them. They were never the same. Well. John twenty one eighteen when you know after I was actually going Jesus to is asking you know pretty much affirming like do you love me yeah. do you love me do you love me I want to read eighteen because this is I think just beautiful uh, I tell you the truth well that, then feed my sheep I tell you the truth when you were young you were able to do as you liked you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go but when but when when you were old you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. That's, follow me. Yeah. And so Jesus gives us the opportunity to follow or not follow, yeah. but he extends that opportunity if we want to choose so. So every single Roman Ooh. soldier that went to go pick up Jesus, do you really think they wanted to be there? Mm-hmm. They were being dressed by other people that ruled over them. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. I see how you took that. That's good. Yep. Mm. And so it just amazes me that... At first, when I was born, I was dressed and got brought where I didn't want to go. And even times where I didn't even want to fit in with this crowd, I still brought myself there because they had control over me. And this is why I follow Jesus, because regardless whether I want to or not, he gives me the opportunity to make the choice. And then, honestly, I'd rather choose to follow Jesus. Mm. See, I, I I had that highlighted, too, and the way I was looking at that is like, I took it out of out of the context and would think about it in life that yeah, when you're young, we can go wherever we want. We all got cars, mm-hmm. but one day we're going to mm-hmm. be in like a nursing home or need somebody to take care of us, mm-hmm. and they're going to drive us to places we don't want to go, like the doctor's office, and they're going to have to dress us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Well, I, you know, I I think more specifically, he's talking about. Well, because he says that uh, how he's going to die. So it's like, mm, hey, yeah. you're going to be arrested. You're going to be led around. You're going to have no ability to decide where you're going to go and what you're going to do. And right. yeah, well, one thing I, I do want to mention before we continue this conversation, we were talking about the garden. You know, it says that this group of people, this contingent, this cohort of soldiers came. Now, there's debate over how many people that was. But from a technical standpoint... A cohort was Mm -hmm. 600 legionnaires. Maybe there wasn't that many. Maybe it was only half that many. We don't know exactly how many people came to arrest Jesus in the garden that night. But it could have been an entire, you know, group, 600 men that came to arrest Jesus. They're like, hey, we're looking for Jesus. I'm he. Boom, 600 men fell out on their back. Mm. It's like... We've not seen power like that. And again, not, 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 I'm just going to read way between the lines here, okay? Mm. Read way between the lines, so bear with me. It's probably not true. But imagine if some of these Roman soldiers go to their commanding officer, and their commanding officer's like, so how'd it go? And they're like, it was the craziest thing we've ever seen. Like, we went out there to arrest him, and every single one of us fell flat on our backs. Not, not once, I believe it was twice, right? All of them fall back on their, their, their back. They're like, what in the world? They're like, they're like you must have tripped. They're like, 600 of us? Like, all of us trained soldiers? We all fell down when he said, I am he. They're like, never heard anything. i got to report this up the line. Yeah. Eventually, gets to the top of the line, pilot, who hears now this account of all these soldiers getting, like, 
slammed on their back by just a few words out of this guy's mouth. What, what power? Pilot's like, what the <laughs> heck is going on here? And then pulls full circle. Now he's interrogated. Jesus is like, don't say anything harsh here. Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. It's right. as I said, the, the soldiers that went there had some knowledge of Jesus, you know. They, they were scared of him, uh, frightened, whatever it was, because they're superstitious people. And given that Pilate would have sent the soldiers because he had control over everybody in that area as far as soldiers, he was, as the proconsul, uh, as the governor, <clears throat> in charge of everybody. So he would have got that report that Judah is presupposing of some type. He would have got the report. And now, in addition to that regular knowledge he had of Jesus and the knowledge that they Sanhedrin's uh, uh, members gave him the high priest and those folks. Now he gets this report of the arrest of Jesus. So he's got that in the back of his head. Then you add in his his wife's clairvoyant uh, uh, mm-hmm. musings, if you mm-hmm. will, and Pilate's scared. Yeah, he's nervous. He's like, this guy's got some power. Like, like even the Roman soldiers, they must have been like, like, dude, like my knees, my body, everything went limp, and I hit the ground. Yep. And, and and so now, in Pilate's mind, I mean, again, like if if again, a lot of this is just, you know, whatever, but, but I, like, exaggerate or, 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 or reading between the lines. But but it's like in his mind, he must be thinking, he could have escaped if he wanted to. Like yeah. if he could knock him down with a word, he probably could have kept them down. Yeah. He could have probably wiped them all out for all I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, it's like again. It's like for for somebody in Pilate's position, and he's not stupid. It's not like oh wow, well, you know oh, they they just all tripped and fell over. Like he's like, wait a minute, what kind of power would knock down all of these soldiers simultaneously? I mean, that's a major major event, and he must be thinking like like something is going on. Like he could have taken out everybody if what they're saying is true. Then he came here on his own accord. And I'm thinking, you know, I was wondering, okay, is it they got knocked down? Either way, they're on the ground and and there's some kind of fear there or respect uh, or, or something that caused them to do that. Because every time I read this, even when I was younger, but more so now where it says, and Jeff read the line, I am he. Okay, who are you looking for? Jesus the Nazarene. I'm he. And they're looking right at him, and they don't know it's him, but then they all get, get down, because now they're scared, but they're thinking, and then they look, and they go, okay, we got all these people to arrest this one one guy. Yeah. Maybe scrawny guy at that. You know, just one one guy and, and one man, and, and they're thinking, you know, they were expecting, I got to believe if I put myself there, and again, read between the lines, as Judah said, I'm speculating here. They, they had to be expecting somebody super powerful, maybe mm. a, a Goliath-type cre- you know, person, you because know, yep. they've never seen him. They didn't pay attention to him, but we need all you people that, you know, we need the Romans to help us, the Jews said to Pilate, to arrest this Jesus. The power that they thought that he had, only they were thinking a different kind of power. Mm. They were thinking the kind of power that, you know, the, the, the Jewish people like uh, the Zealots thought that he was going to be somebody that led a revolt. And that's what the Roman soldiers were thinking. This is what we're going to face up. And they didn't mess around. Maybe they did bring a cohort, as Judah said, which was 600 Roman soldiers. And they were tough. They were seasoned. They were hardened. And they're expecting something a lot different in my mind. It doesn't say this in here, but I like reading between the lines, as Judah said. I'm thinking they're expecting some huge 
monstrous person that with unbelievable powers, flames coming out of his fingers and yeah. fire coming out of his mouth. <laughs> and they get somebody who says, I'm heat, you can take me away. Yep. Yeah. Imagine like you're, you're getting this news, like you, you live in the area, you get the news like maybe second or third hand and say that the military even washes away the fact that they all fell down. Mm. And all you hear is that 600 people went to go after this one guy Oh, my cousin, he knows one of the guys who follows him. He doesn't say, 600 guys for him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you play this out to when they scourged and uh, whipped Jesus and put the crown on him, these were the soldiers doing that. Now, I mean, think about it. Could it have been some of the same ones, or could some of their peers have said, hey, you know, when we were on the ground, they heard that report, said, well, well, we got to make up for that. And this is what they they beat him mercilessly and brutally and thinking, okay, he's not what we thought he was. You know, we can take care of him. We can handle him. He's just a man. Whereas we or some of us or at least some of our fellow soldiers thought that he was this uh, indestructible super person and he wasn't, and, and they looked bad doing that, and now they're going to make up for that, and they mm-hmm. laughed at him and mocked him and did everything they could to build up their reputation again. That's what I read mm-hmm. in this, if you play it out to that Well, part. imagine like you go there, and to use David and Goliath um, as an example, you're, you're going there expecting to find Goliath, and you find David. Mm-hmm. There you and go. And then also to then have it where all of a sudden they all hit, their, they're all hit the ground. So now, yeah, you're saying they're getting embarrassed. Yes, embarrassed. By, by Scrawny little guy, disembarrassed all of us. We're going to beat him. <laughs> and they make up for that. Yeah, yeah. They make up for somebody oh, does yeah. along the way because they just, you know, they did, I mean, all the things that you read in here, and, and, and you all know a little bit about, uh, maybe a lot about the Romans and how they were. They, If you did something right, they leave you alone. If you did something wrong, they made you pay for it. They, they set an example for you. That's what crucifixion was all about. Mm. You, you're not going to do this. And if you do, this is what's going to happen to you. And so they, I mean, they, they saw, they said, he's not that tough. We'll soften him up. And that's what they did. And that's what they did to people that they thought were criminals or whatever it is. They thought they were murderers or rioters or insurrectionists. They softened you up. Mm. And, And yet, what do we know about at least one of them, the centurion, which what's a centurion? Right? I mean, He's in command of a hundred soldiers. So there's a centurion standing at the cross, and when Jesus dies, he says, surely this is the Son of God. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's like, I mean, something dramatic had to happen to get him to that point. You know, we know another centurion that, that you know, went to Jesus to get healing. Um, and then here we, we see, you know, the soldiers, they go out, they get knocked to their feet. See, they, like you said, they beat him mercilessly. They hang him on the cross the whole time. He's like forgiving people and, you know, saying these profound things and, and denying, you know, aid and whatever else until he dies. And they're like, surely this is the son of God. Like, like we just did something that is momentous, you know, for better or for worse. They probably don't know at that moment. And, you know, kind of bringing this, you know, back to where, where we were discussing before in verse or in chapter 21. So all this happens, right? And Peter denies Jesus and probably feels like he's ruined his chance. And the other disciples probably don't feel a whole lot better about the situation either. And they're like, well, you know, where do we go from here? Like, like he's appeared to us a couple times, but we're certainly not going around the countryside like we used to anymore. You know, they're like, well, let's go fishing. They go fishing. Jesus shows up. 
and does what we've we've kind of alluded to um, just a couple of times, where he asks Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I don't know specifically what, what he's talking about, but let's just assume that he's talking about maybe the fish. You know, this is his job. This is a livelihood, you know. And he's like, yeah, you know I love you. He says, and feed my lambs. Asks him again, do you love me? Yes, you know I do. Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? He goes on, then feed my sheep. And, and you can kind of see a progression there too yeah. about feeding my lambs, taking care of the sheep, and then feeding the sheep. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, it's almost like this pastoral thing. It's like you're taking care of the lambs, the new, or you're feeding the lambs, you're taking care of the sheep as they get older, you're feeding the sheep, you're continuing there, and then he goes into the whole thing about how he's going to, uh, you know, when he gets older, he's going to be taken where he doesn't want to go, and, you know, all that, but verse 19, and I highlighted this verse, Jesus said this to let him know by what death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, what? Follow me. Follow me. Which tense is that in? Present. It's in the present tense, right? Yeah. So so it's like he, he's coming full circle. He's like, you know what? Follow me now. Follow me. Like, I, I know you followed me for the last two and a half, three and a half, like, we don't know exactly how many, but we rounded it to three years. I know you follow me for three years, but follow me now. Follow me now. It's going to be different than you've ever seen. You deny me three times. You've just rededicated your love to me three times. I want you to pastor people. You know, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to take care of my sheep. Now follow me. And and it's almost like, you know, we we look at this, and if you watch movies about the crucifixion, it's like, okay, roll the credits. And really, I think in Jesus' mind, it's like, this is just the opening credit scene. Yeah. Like this is this is just the beginning. Hey, you guys here, follow me. And like, well, what do you think we've been doing for the last three years? He's yeah. like, no, 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 you haven't even started to follow me yet. When when you you made me smile, Judah. When <laughs> Jesus says up there, and I think it's fifteen. Do you love me more than these? And you said, is he talking about the fish? And I smiled. He could be. And it's funny because I thought about it. I think he's he could be talking about it again. Are we reading between the lines? Maybe, maybe not. When Jesus says, do you love me more than these? He could be asking Peter, does he love Jesus more than the old life? Than being with his friends? Than, you know, fishing, as Judah said, but being with his friends. Been, than more than being the boss, so to speak, of the apostles. And, and I think at the core of this, uh, Jesus is asking Peter if he's going to put Jesus first in his life. And at the core of it, that's what he's asking us. Mm-hmm. Are we going to put Jesus first in our life? Jesus is, when he asks him three times, you see how Peter, how does Peter respond? He says, of course, you know that I do, Lord. You know that I do. And he's hurt. He might even be crying and tearing up. Because Jesus is doing what? As he does to us, he is digging into Peter's heart. He's mm-hmm. digging into his heart. He's digging into his will. He's digging into his whole being. We, we have to think about that as it relates to ourselves. And why did he do that to Peter? Because Peter failed to live up to what he professed. Mm. And each of us, I, I would suppose, I know I do, have times when I fail to live up to what I profess. And that's what Jesus is digging at here. He, he, he's not saying it's all done, it's all over, because you didn't, you failed. Remember what I said before? We're going to fail. Mm. You know, we're not necessarily going to be successful all the time. 
And what he ends up doing? Jesus forgives Peter for the past. Peter mm. is forgiven for his past. And what happens? He's recommissioned. And why does that make me happy? In case you guys didn't know, it makes me happy because I've been forgiven so many times and then recommissioned. God has mm. sent me out to do something new and improved and different, and then I fail again, and he recommissions me over again. And, and everybody mm. that is listening to us and everybody in this room can be recommissioned like Peter, can be forgiven and then recommissioned, sent out again, mm. because there's a future for all of us. Mm. And Jesus sees it if we don't. And what does Jesus say to each and every one of us? In the present, as Judas said, follow me. Mm. That's good. Well, and I think that's a good place to wrap wrap this up because I mean, this book it, it's bookended with that phrase, "Follow me." And I think, like you said, that that's what God is calling us to do to follow Him. So, with that, I think we can say we finally uh, come to the uh, conclusion <laughs> yeah. of John, and uh, and so let, let's change gears a little bit, like Dave mentioned earlier. Uh, let's jump into some of the minor prophets. These are some of the prophets. There's 12 minor prophets, not because they're less important, but because they're shorter in nature. And they're also, in many ways, a lot of them are a little bit overlooked, I think, in the Old Testament. Mm. So we're going to start with the book of Hosea. 14 chapters in there. We're going to split it in half. Seven uh, chapters. We'll read it, let's say, four times in this coming week, and we will uh, start talking about that. Also, for those that are listening, we're going to be taking a, a couple weeks off uh, from the podcast. We're still going to be recording things, uh, but it's going to be a, a little bit of a break here. And when you come back, we will be in Hosea. So we invite anyone to read along with us chapters 1 to 7, and we'll pick that up next time. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on the Thriving in the Word podcast. We invite you to leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also consider sharing it on social media. We can't wait to be back together with you at the Thriving in the Word podcast.